If you have your Bibles, would you open with me to John chapter 3, and we will be in verses 16 through 19. Probably some of the more familiar passages of Scripture, um, but we are going to dive in together, and you see your sermon title is The Why of Christmas. Let me just go ahead and get it on the table that I don't really enjoy when I misspell words to make a point, but I also do not love the process of coming up with a sermon title each week. So this is what I got, all right? It's the why of Christmas. And I also have this here. So it all's coming together here, um, the why of Christmas. Now, why is an important question. And many years ago at my previous employer, the Women's Missionary Union, uh, they would come around once a month and they would give out these little uh, whys to different people and it would be a signifier of why we do the work that we do. There's a reminder in the middle of a publishing house in which we would edit documents and read words day in and day out, look at covers and make sure barcode scan and we have the right data into the system, that you can get caught in the middle of everything and miss the why behind what we do, that we were about missions, education, and discipleship, and about sharing the good news of Jesus through missionaries and discipleship. And so uh, it, the why was a reminder in the days that you feel the drudgery of what you're doing in the middle of editing and writing and manuscripting there's a bigger reason. There's a bigger why. There are some days that I leave it, well, every day I leave it on the shelf in my office to be a reminder, God, why did you call me to pastor? There are days that things get difficult and overwhelming, and I don't know what's going on or where to go next, and there's a simple why right there to remind me, God called me to pastor to point people to Jesus, to connect people to the heartbeat of Jesus. And so why is a gravely important question for all of us to ask about everything. I mean, many of you ask, why are we going through the book of Mark? Is it because your name is Mark? No. Many of you have just said, we're glad that your name's not Leviticus, right? Um, it's a different point, a different story. But why is a greatly important question. This afternoon, say that you get back to your house and you get a phone call from a friend that says, what do you have going on tomorrow? Now, in my younger years, I may have said, nothing. What you got? Let me help you. But I've learned over time to ask the very important question, Why? right? Been there, you've done that, bought that t-shirt. Right? They could say, well, Mark, we have an ice cream truck that we've rented, and we've got inflatables, and we're going to keep the kids for several hours, and you come over and get as much ice cream as you want, and then we're going to keep your kids for your wife and you to go on a date. Well, yeah, I'm there, right? I mean, ice cream, we're going over, we're going to drop the kids off. That sounds great. Now, the answer to that question, what do you have going on tomorrow, if I ask a why, could also be another answer, right? It could be something like, well, we're moving out of our three-story apartment, we have a piano, and we haven't started packing yet, and I was wondering if you could come help. Ah, may not be as free, right? Now, you all would, you good Christian people, you would all be free no matter what the response was, but the why is important to understand so much and determine our response. And so this morning, we're looking at the why of Christmas, why, why did Jesus come into this earth? Why did Jesus come to live amongst us? Why do we celebrate Christmas? And as I said last week, it's easy for us to look at a passage. Oh, Mark, you're preaching through John 3, 16. I've heard it a thousand times. I've heard every sermon that there's possible to be preached on John 3, 16. What are you possibly going to say that hasn't been said before? Probably nothing. I'm going to admit, probably this morning, I'm not going to share any information that's new or groundbreaking or that's going to be foundational to something you have never heard before. 
But this morning, as we walk our way into Christmas, my goal is to be your CRO, your chief reminding officer, to remind you of the good truths that we see in Scripture, to firmly root our feet right next to the streams of the living water, to remind ourselves why we celebrate this Christmas season, why we have a living Christmas tree, why we sing, why we have angels and nativities to sing us and remind us and to point us clearly to the truth that this Christmas season means everything for us. And so don't turn your brain off. Don't numb your soul and say, well, I've heard another Christmas sermon or here we are at John three sixteen again. Friends, the why behind Christmas truly means everything. And changes our responses to how we live in this world. So what I want us to do is together, I want us to read John 3, 16 and 17. Now, if you have your Bibles and you're a different translation, you can read it out boldly and loudly where you are. You can look on the screen. But I want us to read together John 3, 16 and 17. But I don't want us to just read it together. I want you to say it out loud. Can you do that? You can. I believe in you. You can say it out loud, okay? One day, I look forward to the day that I ask the question and everybody with one voice says, yes, we can do it. All right? We can read John 3, 16 and 17 together. Can we not? Yes. Amen. Yes. There we go. Okay. So John 3, 16, let's read it and say it together. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but in order that the world might be saved through him. This is good. Oh, we can stop right there. That's good. It's good. This is good, y'all. Let me finish reading 18 and 19. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the Son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and the people loved darkness rather than the light, because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light, and who does not come to the light lest his work should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. Let's pray together. Dear Lord, help us. This morning, Lord, we want to be overwhelmed with your goodness. Lord, would John 3.16 hit our hearts afresh today? That you've come into this world Lord, not to leave us alone in our plight and our hurt. Lord, as we walk through this time, just let our hearts be flooded with joy. In your name we pray, amen. The first thing that you see on your outline is, why did Jesus come? That's the question that we're going to ask this morning. Why did Jesus come? As we get to the why of Christmas, why did Jesus come onto this earth? Why did he come to the earth, out of heaven, taking off all the royalty that he was due as divine human in or a divine God in heaven to come down to this earth well you would know as well as I do that Jesus did not come to simply be a good moral teacher he didn't come to just teach us good things to present some new law or to present some moral philosophies on here's the way to get to heaven by living a good life Jesus did not come to this earth to present to us a moral teaching of how to live a good moral lifestyle if he did then we would try to earn our salvation by our good deeds and our good works we would believe that because Jesus taught good things and how to live a good moral lifestyle, that we could be good citizens of whatever kingdom we live under and that we could earn or buy our salvation because of his good teaching. So we know that Jesus did not come simply to be a good moral teacher. We also know that he did not come to this earth to be a good earthly king. 
We see for throughout his process that he did not come to live and be a good earthly king. From the beginning, he came in lowly of circumstances, not coming to be an earthly king to topple the authorities in power. He didn't come to make all of our earthly problems go away by giving us earthly rule and reign as Christians. He did not come to this earth to be a good earthly king. If he did, we would be looking for our faith in politics or in kings and rulers or authorities. Jesus also did not come to this earth to be and give us new prophecy, to look forward to a coming Savior. Jesus did not come in the line of prophets to be another prophet in that line, to give us future salvation. If Jesus had come just to be another prophet, we would be looking for another We'd be looking for the next Savior. We'd be looking for the Lord to come and take away our sins. If Jesus was simply a good moral teacher, a good earthly king, or simply a good prophet, do you know that none of us would be in this room today? So let's look at the question, why did Jesus come? Let's look at four different places. Now there's a range of reasons why Jesus came to this earth, but let's look at four this morning that can help and point our attention in the right way. First is to show us who God is. First point on your outline is to show us who God is. Look on your outline at Hebrews chapter 1, 1 through 3. One of the most telling verses of Scripture that helps us understand who God is. The writer says, Long ago and at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed the heir of all things, through whom He also created the world. It says Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. Look back. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. That in Jesus, we see exactly who God is. We see the exact imprint of God's nature, his kindness, his compassion, his grace and his goodness, his mercy. We see who Jesus would go to and run to and minister to and help and and love on. We see exactly the heartbeat of God as we look to the heartbeat of Jesus. We further on in Colossians chapter 1, we see he is the image of the invisible God. Let that soak into your mind just a second. Jesus is the image of the invisible God. Through Jesus, we see the visible image of the invisible God. If we wondered about who God is, what he was like, what he is like, we look to Jesus. We look at how he loved and ministered to the least of these. We see how he was kind and compassionate towards sinners. As we look to Jesus, we see a razor-sharp image of who God is. And so we're not left to wonder, does God love, does he care, is he even caring about the plight of the people on earth? We don't have to wonder, God, what are you like and how do you care for your people? We see a direct presentation of God through Jesus, fully God, coming to live and dwell amongst us. A song that we sing often and a word that we say often, Emmanuel, God with us. This blows our minds that the God of this universe would come to us. As I've said many times and in many ways over this Christmas season, this mere fact sets us apart from every religion that we have a God who doesn't just sit up in heaven and say, figure it out, people. But that we have a God who came down to us to demonstrate his love and grace and mercy and attributes as he walked and put on flesh and dwelt among us. Emmanuel, God with us. To friends, when you want to see 
when you want to know God, open the book of your Bible and just start reading. As you look and see where Jesus hung out, who he spent his time with, who he encouraged, who he helped, who he who was happy with and who he was frustrated with. It gives us a picture of God. He is the image of the invisible God, the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. So Jesus came to this earth to demonstrate and show us exactly who God is. More than that, as we continue on, you see as well that Jesus came to this earth to bring fulfillment to prophecy. Reverse side of your outline, you see, to bring fulfillment to prophecy. Romans 15, 8 through 9 reminds us, For I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs. That Jesus has come onto the scene to confirm the promises given generations and generations and generations before. That this is not some cosmic accident that Jesus would come onto the scene to save us from our sins. That God has been preparing this time and this place. Even Jesus' coming to this earth reminds us of the rule and reign of the goodness of God, that he doesn't just haphazardly do things, that he has been planning and preparing for the coming of his son to this earth. Look back to Isaiah 7, 14, that generations and generations and generations and generations before Jesus would be born in that little town and that little lowly manger. Isaiah 7, 14 says, Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will call him Emmanuel. That we can trust in our Lord Jesus, our Savior, because of the prophecy that has gone on years and years and years before, foretelling of his birth, of his life, of his death, and his resurrection. That this is the coming Messiah. This is the king who would wipe away the sins of the earth. This gives me great confidence in God. Not that he is just scrambling the fighter jets of heaven to try to figure out how to help the people in their pain and their plight. But he has been preparing for generations and generations for the coming of our Savior. Friends, know that Jesus has come onto the scene to bring fulfillment to the prophecy of old. And number three, he's come to save sinners. This is what we often sing and we're so excited about, that Jesus has come to save sinners. Go back for a moment to John 3.16. We see, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever would believe in him should not perish but have eternal life. You look back at your outline at 1 Timothy 1.15. We see a razor clear picture of why Jesus came. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, and as Paul adds, of whom I am the foremost. Paul reminds people that Jesus came into the scene to save sinners like me and like you. This is the good news of the gospel, that Jesus is coming, saved the people from their sins. In John 1.20, as Joseph was preparing to divorce his betrothed Mary, so you know that he believed that there was some impropriety that went on, that he has engaged soon-to-be wife is now found to be with child, and he's beginning to think that he's going to divorce her quietly. The angel comes to Joseph and says these incredible words. Joseph, do not fear that this baby will save his people from their sins. The good news of Jesus' coming is that this Emmanuel, God with us, would save the people 
from their sins. So look, he has cleared the pathway for our salvation. So let's walk through this. John 3, 16, 17, 18, 19, and 20 tell us that one, Jesus did not come into this world to bring condemnation. He came to save it. Verse 17, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. So your first blank in the bullets there is Jesus didn't come to bring condemnation. He didn't come to point his finger at you and say, I'm here now to tell you all the ways in which you have done wrong. I'm here to bring condemnation to the world. We don't have a Savior who's come into the world just to point his finger and wag and say, get it together, people. Jesus has not come into this world to bring condemnation. You know, from Romans 8, 1, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. None. No condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So Jesus came to save sinners like you and me and take all of their sin away. All of it. Every single iota of our sin is taken away through the blood of Jesus. So you see, Jesus didn't come to bring condemnation. He came to bring freedom. Freedom from our sins to take them away as far as the east is from the west. Friends, Jesus came to save you. He came to save me of all of my sins. And he didn't come now to bring condemnation over you, to remind you of your sin, to point your finger in your sin and just say, look at how sinful, wicked you are, you sinful, sinful people. He's come to bring life and hope and joy and light, not to bring condemnation to his people. John 3.18 reminds us as well that Jesus came to bring light to darkness. John 3.18 tells us, whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the Son of of God. And this is the judgment that the light has come into the world, that people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. Jesus came to bring light into your darkness. Friends, again, I don't know what you've walked into this room with, but I know that this has been a tremendously difficult year, and there's a lot of darkness even pervading the walls of our church. Many of you are walking through incredibly difficult seasons. I'm honest, I believe many of us in this room may be struggling deeply in dark addictions and pains and hurts and patterns of sin. We've kept it in the dark. We push it into the deep, dark recesses of our soul and our heart, not letting anybody know. Brothers and sisters, if you are in Christ, Jesus is calling us to bring it to the light. That's where you find hope and healing, not condemnation. So if you're suffering under the weight of sin and darkness in your life, the worst thing that you can do is stay in darkness. What you find is a Savior who opens his arms and says, come to me, approach the throne of grace with confidence. Not that you'll find a Savior to tell you that you are condemned, but a Savior who will say you are loved. So Jesus didn't come into the world to bring condemnation. He didn't bring, come to bring light to darkness. He did come to bring light to darkness. But secondly, Jesus' is coming brought us a choice. Recognize that Jesus' coming brought you and me a choice. We recognize the why of Christmas, that Jesus, you have come to save sinners, the chief of whom is sitting right here, standing right here. I am the chief sinner. He saved each one of us and has come with a choice for you and me. Jesus' arrival onto the scene, onto this earth, has come with a choice for each one of us. We can either believe this, that Jesus loves and cares for us and has died in our place and has given us life and life eternal. We can believe that and give our lives to it. We can reject it and say, Nah, it's not for me, or I don't believe it. 
But I believe in a situation like this, many of us may fall into that middle category. We may look at this, we may say, yes, we've been coming to church, we believe it. I've stamped my get out of hell free card and I'm good to go and I'm just going to ride this thing out to the end. Thank you, God, for saving me of my sins and I'm good to go. Friends, when we recognize the why of what Jesus has done for you and me, that he has taken all of your sins away, our response is not an apathetic, ah, good, I'm out of hell now. Our response is anything short of worship, praise, adoration, and giving our lives to Jesus. And so know that this Christmas season, as you celebrate, as you open gifts, and as you're with family, and as you're worshiping, this Christmas season comes with a choice for us. Will we worship? Will we give our lives to Jesus this coming year and day? Will we obediently follow him, or will we just be apathetic to what Jesus has done? So it's come with a choice, but recognize at the end here that Jesus is coming is to demonstrate the measure of his love for you. John 3.16 simply says, For God so loved the world that he gave. That if you wonder, does God love, does he care, does he love us, we look to his coming to demonstrate that yes, he does. 1 John 3.16, By this we know what love, that he laid down his life for us, and we also ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. When we wonder, does God love, does he care, does he care about us on this earth, does he care about my plight and my pain, you look no further than the coming of his son Jesus to this earth and his death on the cross to save you of all of your sin so that you can have life and life eternal. So you look to Jesus, the measure of God's love over you, his care for you. So Jesus came to measure, to demonstrate the measure of God's love. Let me pray for us. Dear Father, help us. Lord, we want to worship you. We want to trust in you. We want to celebrate the goodness of who you are every day. Lord, shake the apathy from our hearts, Lord, if we feel just the spirit of walking through the motions of just haphazardly saying thank you and going on without our lives looking any different. Lord, I pray as we look to the why of Christmas, as we look to why you have come to this earth, why you have died for our sins, why you have saved us sinners. I pray our heart is just transformed by the reality of truth. Lord, we love you. Thank you for Jesus. In his name we pray, amen. Your final blank on your outline is simply this. Will you celebrate Jesus both in your heart and in your home this Christmas season? As you put out your nativity scenes, as you get ready to open presents, as you get ready to look at the the angel on top of your tree or the star on top of your tree, will all these reminders that we have in our homes point our eyes towards Jesus? I pray that you would celebrate Jesus in your homes this Christmas season, that we would celebrate the goodness of what he's done in your home. But more importantly, I pray that individually we would celebrate what Jesus has done in your hearts that it would radiate past December 25th and blow into 2021, and we would celebrate what Jesus has done every day by giving our lives to the gospel and sharing and showing with all that we come in contact with. Friends, as we come to this time that we invite you to respond, Ed's going to come and lead us in a closing hymn of invitation that we'll follow Jesus wherever he leads, whether he leads us across the street to our neighbors, to our family, to our friends, to our job sites, wherever he leads us, we will faithfully follow, we will faithfully go. I'll tell you, if you don't have a 
a church family, as we come to the conclusion of 2020, if you don't have a, a church family, I would love to welcome you into this wonderful family of faith to join these band of believers who love each other and care for each other and walk through the ups and downs of life together. So I'll be here at the front. I would love to receive you into this wonderful family of faith. If you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, if you don't know what it's like to have the sins removed from your shoulders and the guilt and the burdens off of your chest, I'll be here at the front. We'd love to receive you and talk to you about what it means to follow Jesus. Maybe you want to follow Emma Claire in baptism. Maybe you want to walk as Emma Claire walked and just give your life to Jesus and be baptized. Know that we would love to set up a time for you to be baptized. As we stand, would you sing along with this final hymn of invitation? Let the Lord work in your heart as we go through this time.